0: Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On the program tonight, if you're struggling trying to get your sales in, oh, I guess up to the level that you want them to be, probably the best way to put it, if you're struggling leading a team, getting them to call on new prospects, sell your value, and also advance sales that seem to be stalled out. If you're the owner of a company and you feel that you're underperforming in the revenue area, you've come to the right place because Nathan Jamail is going to be on our program. He is the author of the new book, The Sales Professionals Playbook, and Nathan will be joining us here shortly. We're going to talk about addressing those issues and more being a sales professional. On BizTalk, we have a couple resources for you you can go out to and subscribe to. One of them is the new BizTalk website. You can go out and look at it, and you'll see that it's much easier to navigate, much easier to understand. Podcasts, I think we got 20 or 30 podcasts out there from shows we've done over the last couple years. Those are available just to download and listen to, or you can subscribe to them through iTunes. And also we have the new blog that's on the BizTalk website. And the new blog is called Hire the Best. So if you're looking at what it takes to hire professional salespeople, a productive VP of sales, then you'll want to go to Hire the Best because we spend all of our time blogging about what it takes to identify and find and screen and recruit top performing sales professionals. That's called the Hire the Best blog. You can subscribe to it out on the website, or you can just download and see what is available in terms of those blogs. Also on the website, you'll find Sales Quick Coach, which is two-minute timeouts to improve your performance. You can subscribe to that. We post a new one each month, but each week we update that. If you subscribe to it, we email that to you. and That's just real-world sales techniques in terms of helping you out as a sales professional. So if you're a hiring professional in the sales arena, you want to go to hire the best sales professional, sales quick coach. And it's all out on the biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z talkradioshow.com. I had the pleasure this week of being on the morning show with Van. Bonnie was on vacation up in Alaska, and last Wednesday I filled in four hours for Bonnie, and I was the surrogate Bonnie, I guess, with Van. And we talked about a couple things. One I just wanted to share with you. Van and I had a discussion on the secrets to success, and I told him, at least business success, I told him that mine were that know something, know that you know something, and get known for something. So know something. What do you know to be true? That would be the best thing to know. What do you know to be true? Because if it's true, you won't have any problem selling it. And you can get passionate about the truth. So what do you know to be true? And do you know that you know? A lot of things people know but don't have the confidence to come forward and say this is what i know to be true so know something know that you know and then get known for what you know and those are the three secrets i just wanted to pass those along to you had a great time talking with van boy van makes that look so easy if you listen to the morning show and we had a discussion he's been doing it you know 22 I think plus years now but just watching him operate behind the control board and just orchestrate all of the different people that come into the show, either to do the markets or do the weather or do the news or do the sports, or to coordinate with a guest host. That's not easy, and he sure makes it look easy. And just watching him operate is a pleasurable experience for me because he's so professional, and that's what professionals do. Professionals make it look easy, and they just make it look like you know, it's just a walk in the park, and that ties right right into what Nathan's going to talk about today. Because you may know a sales person, you may be a salesperson. The question is, are you a sales professional? And what is the difference between a salesperson and a sales professional? We're going to address that tonight with Nathan Jamal. We're going to discuss his new book, also the sales professionals. Playbook. On our program tonight is Nathan Jamail. Currently, he's president of the Jamail Development Group and owner of several small businesses. For more than a decade, Nathan has either been setting sales records or training others in how to do so. Previously, Nathan set records in sales by producing top-performing sales teams in capacities such as in business sales, direct consumer sales, indirect sales, distribution and marketing for several Fortune 100 companies. In doing so, he's been named a top sales executive and director for a Fortune 500 company where he received numerous national sales excellence awards and was named executive coach leader. Nathan trains coaches and mentors sales professionals in many industries today. Nathan is also the author of the number one business selling book, The Sales Leader's Playbook, a book that teaches the important principles of building a successful sales team, as well as his new release, which we're talking about tonight, the Sales Professionals Playbook. Nathan, welcome to the program.
1: It's great to be here with you, Jim. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it.
0: Now, if not mistaken, you're joining us from Texas, right?
1: I am. I'm in Dallas, Texas, and I heard you speaking about the weather there, where you live in Iowa (laughs) there, and we're actually enjoying the 90-degree weather uh, because it's less than
0: three digits. Oh, yeah. I, I've been in Dallas when it's been 106. And that's why I, I thought you were in Dallas. And I thought, man, you, you got the same intense heat. We don't have quite the humidity we do in Iowa, though. So.
1: That is true. And, and, and right now it's 83, so we actually think we started
0: fall this morning. Oh, so. there you go. 83 in <laughs> Dallas this time of year. We'll take it any time. Exactly. Well, well, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule here to join us. And the book is... The Sales Professionals Playbook, which I really enjoyed reading here. I think a summary, if I could tell the audience here, is a really back-to-the-basics, fundamental tackling and blocking, which you should be doing as a salesperson. That's my first impression. But at the same time, you actually bring a new twist to it. And I want to start out tonight by asking you the question, persuasion selling versus Influential selling, because you talk about it in your book, and really you're addressing the difference in selling today versus what it used to be in the past. So let our audience know what you mean by persuasion selling versus influential selling.
1: Yeah, I've been in sales my entire life. My my last salary job was bagging groceries at the age of 15 in in the 80s. And and I'll tell you when you went through the Selling skills of the 80s, and 90s, and, and, and even let's say the early 2000s, but the 80s and 90s, you were taught to build rapport and ask leading questions and and overcome objections and and, and you know the, the idea was to lead people down the direction you want them to go to a path and it, it's the whole idea of how do you persuade someone and, and in old school selling we dealt buyer's remorse and it's still there today when people are feel like they're making a decision but when I wrote this book and as I do my workshops, it's based off a couple of principles. And one of them is that no one likes to be sold, but everybody likes to buy things. And I didn't write that term. I just have to do to work with it in, in my organization and in our selling skills. And the point being that people don't want to be – don't want to feel like they made a decision that wasn't theirs or that they bought something they couldn't afford or didn't want because they got talked into it. And the biggest difference is – when you talk about persuasion, you talk about leading questions. When we talk about influence, we ask questions to understand someone, and it's a lot bigger than words. Now, I'll give you a, or, or you know, change of, of title. Now, I'll give you a couple of examples. I work with salespeople, and I, I get them to write out their questions that they ask a prospective customer. And every one of their questions are based off whatever product or service they're selling. What don't you like about the current provider? What do you like? What would you change? And every question has to do with that product or service they're selling. And one of the struggles in sales, as we all know, is people say, I love that product. I want it. Or I love that service. I want it. But right now, I've got these other priorities that i got to take care of. And when I work with sales when you sell to influence someone versus persuade them, you have to understand that your goal is to understand their perspective and their priorities. Because you can't become someone's priority until you know what someone's priorities are. So we get them to ask questions to better understand not just how they can use their product or service, but what's in their business? What is their perspective of their industry? What is their perspective of their, their company? What is their perspective of their jobs? And what are their priorities? And here's the biggest example I, or, or the biggest kind of the, the – Learning point, or when you look at it, say, "Hey, this is really what you want to grab," is when you ask of uh, your mother, your wife, or a friend, or a sibling to understand their problems. You don't, you're not going in there with an agenda. You're going in there with the, to understand them. And Now, make sure I'm real clear. I'm not saying our our goal is not to sell them. In most situations, for every product or service, many people are a good decision, but typically the best decision. Is the people who can align with the prospective client or the client to match it with their priorities and, and their perspectives. So when, when you look at the biggest difference, it's asking questions to understand someone to best help them and not to manipulate them. And then I'll give you a, a telltale sign. And persuasion, we ask rhetorical questions. If I could save you money and make this better, would that be a good idea? Yes, yes. You know, It's that whole get their head moving up and down. And in influence, we don't ask people those questions. We ask people questions that are purposeful. And and here's the good way to test if something's purposeful. Do you know why you're asking the question? And what are you going to do with the answer? And if you can't answer those two questions, you probably shouldn't ask it.
0: Share that with our audience again. You know it is a purposeful question when what?
1: When you can answer two questions. Why are you asking the question? And then what are you going to do with the answer? Because what happens is we we tend to ask a lot of questions, and we really don't do anything with the answers. And, and I, I, I in my workshops, I have to reiterate, it's not always this answer. Sometimes the answer is to lead to a second or third question to better understand them and not lead them. And, and again – Leading them is I'm trying to pull you a certain direction to understand you is so I can understand your perspective. Because a lot of the times, as I tell people, ask them about their industry, ask them about their company, even if you think you know it, because what I think about your company or your industry, your perception is might be completely different. And a lot of the times the industry or the company or the someone assumed pains, what we assume them to be. The reality is, isn't as probably as much of a factor as what their perception of that reality is. When we ask questions to understand someone and to influence them, we're asking them to say, Listen, let me understand what you want. Let me understand what's important to you, what your priorities are. And then let me, but being the expert, be the best person to help you make the decision. I use an example in my workshops. How many times does someone ask? someone else's opinion maybe it's a if it's in b2b sales they'll ask a counterpart or a mentor of what they think they should or should not do on buying a product or service and that person doesn't know about the product service, but they perceive them as a person of influence and trust and so if we can establish that position of trust and influence with them then we become the best solution person help them with the solution because now we're helping them make the best decision not based off what we want to sell them but based off how we understand them. And, and there are a couple of things I talk about in the book, just like every story. You know, I, I have four children. My oldest child is 16, 10, two, and 10 months. So many people say I should find a hobby,
0: but you know,
1: this hobby is getting very expensive, but yeah, right. <laughs> you know, my, my father jokes around. He says, you know, son, when I was having my fourth child, he says, do you realize when I was your age, you were in college? I said, Bob, you realize when I'm your age, my youngest won't even be in college. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I read children's stories, every children's story starts with once upon a time and ends with they lived happily ever after. Well, our questions, they must be in the proper order. And what I teach is go wide and end narrow. Ask about their industry. Ask about their company. Ask about themselves. And not, not themselves as a person, but themselves and their jobs and responsibilities or their position. And then once you understand their perspective of the big stuff, then go into the little stuff, how they're perceived or their perceptions of their maybe their current use of your product or service through your competitors and the benefits and so on, and then your product and service. And if the story flows, just like any great story, so will the understanding.
0: Well, Nathan, you jumped right into one part of your book about the building trust, which is developing purposeful questions, structuring your questions, and understanding your customers. And really, you talk about in your book the the four key principles to influential selling, which is likability, building trust, mapping solutions, and then consideration. The question I have for you is you jumped right into questions, which leads me to believe you must think that that is one of the most underdeveloped areas that salespeople have today. Is that is that a correct assumption? Uh,
1: with, without a doubt. Without a doubt. When I do workshops and I work with salespeople, there's two problems I see in, in questions. And I'll tell you, I didn't do this until someone made me, a mentor of mine made me do it in the late 90s. The first one we do is, most professional salespeople, we don't take our questions with us. We have them in our head. And there was another great author and, I, and who, who probably said it way before I did. You know, we spend so much time getting that appointment, so much time getting in front of that prospective customer, and we wing it instead of bring it. And it doesn't make sense. So the, the first thing that when you go into purposeful questions or how you assign that we're missing it, when I see sales reps and they just start asking questions, they'll ask one or two just kind of softball questions. They're not really doing it to understand They're doing it to check the box, right? I asked them about how long they've been at this company. I asked them what they do before. And they go right into, let me let me ask you questions so I can sell you something. And, you know, the, you heard that phrase. It's not what you say but how you say it. Absolutely. It, and influence of selling is, is based off one real key point. It's not just what you say or how you say it. It's when you say it. And we tend to ask about two or three, and, and, and even the best ones, nine or ten questions, and we go right into telling them why we're the best or why they should buy from us. And what happens is we ask a question, and we pound them back and answer why they should buy from us. Ask them a question, we pound them back and answer why they should buy from us. And what happens is that prospective customer goes, oh, I see what happened. Every time I ask you a question, I'm giving you more ammunition to sell me something I probably don't want. And that's when that wall comes up. So it's imperative when we talk about influence selling. It's not just what you say or how you say it. although those are very important. But the biggest difference between persuasion and influence is when you say it. And I spend, when I give you an example of how important I think the questions are, when I do a four-hour workshop, I'll spend two hours of that four-hour workshop on just purposeful questions. And it is one of those things where, you know, we love to talk about in business. You know, it's about the basics. It's about the blocking and tackling. But yet we don't really live by it. We love to talk about it. We love to use the sports cliche. But how many go out and actually work on those basics, those questions, and and fine-tune them? If a football coach, as you know in my books, I use a lot of sports analogies. And and I tell people it's not just because I'm a huge sports fan, because I'm a sports fan, but not near like most people. But I use them because I run my sales team a lot more like I run my Little League baseball team than I do an office. I, I to answer your question in a very long way. Absolutely, understanding is probably the, the 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 most important part, and yet it's the one that we skip the most in sales.
0: And in your opinion, why do you think that is? Why do salespeople struggle asking purposeful questions?
1: I think a couple of reasons. One, because we've been we've been taught to ask these, these these handful of questions, and we've been taught to research and understand our customers, and I believe that professional salespeople do understand their customers, but they're so excited to tell them why they're, they can help them or, or tell them how they can help them, they don't let the customer tell them how they can help them. As I tell my sales reps, I never be, need to be right. I just need to be profitable. I don't want to tell my customer how I can help them, I want them to tell me how I can help them and let me provide a solution to them. And I think the reason we skip that is because typically is we don't want, we're don't we so conscious of getting to the point because we don't want to waste someone's time that we don't want to miss the opportunity to tell people how great we are. And, and I'll tell you, as I, as I tell sales reps, listen, if I have 30 minutes and that's all I have, I'd rather spend that 30 minutes understanding them the whole time. And if I've earned the right, I'll book another appointment to tell them why I'm right.
0: And what I enjoyed about your book, Nathan, is you really have it chunked out, pretty easy to follow. And if you follow this, you can actually tune up your sales career or jumpstart your sales career, depending on on where you're at. And in the one section, you talk about building trust, and this has to get in with where you're going with building the purposeful questions and about structuring questions, you actually have three categories you should break those down into. Would you share that with our audience?
1: Now, are you speaking on the industry or, or and the company side of that?
0: And the, yeah, thank you. The company side of that. Thanks for clarifying.
1: Yes, yeah, there's two things. First of all is when you're developing your purposeful questions, one of the things that we have an exercise we have people do, and, and one of the things that, that we do in our sales teams is real simple, is we, we basically write down – everything that our prospective clients talk about or dislike about our industry and everything they like about the industry. And then we throw everything out that people love about our company and where our strengths are, and then what our competition says are our weaknesses. And we throw them all out there. So when we're asking questions, that we have these perceptions or these understandings available, and and it becomes kind of the, the dartboard of our questions. And then we, when we ask the questions, we start going into, again, the goal is to understand someone's perspective. So we'll ask someone, give you a, a, kind of a couple of examples of each one. So an industry. Tell me how the current economy has affected your industry. Because a lot of people want to assume that everyone is in a, is in a downturn. And I'll tell you, uh, Jim, my, many of my clients, myself included, we're not in downturns. Yeah. So as soon as someone's in it, it would be would be wrong. So ask them their perception of their industry. And more importantly, I'm not so much looking to see if your answer matches with me. I want to know what your perspective is. I want to see what emotion you give me when you talk about it to get an idea of who you are and really understand that person. And then when I go into company, and and, and, and you'll have three or four in the industry, and then when I go into the company – I very one of my most common questions is tell me where you rank in the industry as a company are you the most expensive the least expensive large the smallest in most answers the most common answer you get is we're not the largest we're not the smallest we're not the least expensive we're not the most expensive but we are probably the highest value we're up in the upper end area and that seems to be a very comfortable place for most people to be and I use that question to Relate to them, so when so price doesn't become an issue later on. Because I get to say, you know, I'm just like you, Jim. We're not the most expensive. We're not the least expensive. We're the highest value. And this way, price is really not an issue, or, or cannot be an issue. And one of the things that we work on and we we talk about is price is only an obstacle when it's the only benefit. Price is the only is only an obstacle when it's the only benefit. So. When I ask these questions, I have those types of thoughts in my head. I want to understand them, but I'm also looking to, by understanding them, I can better position myself with them. And then I'll go down into the person and I might say, tell me what, you know, as a person, what are your goals this year? Do you get promoted? What are your goals in your role? What makes you, what makes you successful in your roles and responsibilities? And, you know, a couple of things we look at it. We believe that if we can help our clients, put more food on their table, we'll put more on ours. And, you know, we serve them. And I don't want to sound this as, you know, I'm here to help people. Uh, you know, I believe wealth and success is built in commission, sales, more importantly. It, it's real simple. If you want to make more money or be more successful, help more people. I, I don't help people in a noble sense that I'm some, some noble, nice guy, and I'm only out here for the good of human. I, I believe, or humanity, I, I believe real simple. I help you because if I help in you, it helps me, and that's what makes this business of world of sales go around, and it, it and it puts people in an understanding of where they need to be. So you know, you go through that box again. Once upon a time, all the way to all the way to the end of they've lived happily ever after.
0: You talk about in your book becoming a top performer. So share with our audience the advice you received about how to do that in terms of the the components that go into putting together a good sales plan?
1: Well, I'll give you a couple of them. You know, you mentioned earlier, what makes the difference between a a person and a sales professional? Mm -hmm. You know, ironically enough, you know, in business, it's the only real career that you don't have to practice to be a professional. You know, athletes practice 90% of the time and play the game 10% of the time. If you want to be a golfer, you got to practice. If you want to be a comedian, you got to practice. If you want to be an actor, you have to practice. But if you want to be in business, all you got to do is show up. Practicing is not a mandatory of being a professional. In fact, there's no real license or graduation of sorts that you have to go through to have the titles. I could be a professional salesperson and never sold a day in my life. All I need to do is a suit and a business card and get a job. And there is the, the rub of. The difference between being a top performer and an average performer is understand that what we do in business and sales and leadership is a skill. And I'll even tell you this, I will put up sales as one of the most difficult skills of any profession. I'll put it up against football, any sporting event, doctors, lawyers, I'll put it up against all of them. We deal with things that that others don't. We don't have A plus B equals C like a contractor does or blueprints. We deal with non-tangibles. We deal with egos, attitudes, emotions, situations that we can't control. Only make money when we sell something. In most professions, you make money just to show up. So here, here's where it boils down to is, here's the case. Why do we practice less than everyone? So I challenge salespeople to say, if you want to be a professional, then you follow the guidelines of a professional athlete. Now, obviously, we can't practice 90% of the time and play the game 10% of the time because we'd never be out on the streets. But if if we worked a 40 hour work week and we practiced, you know, 45 minutes during the week and and eight hours straight one day every quarter, we'd practice less than 2.8% of the time. So when I look to say, how do you get your sales career up? How do you become a top performer? The first one is that realize this. Just like in football and baseball where we talk about, you know, the, the, the team that wins the game is the team that fumbles the least, the team that catches the most balls, the team that has got the most momentum and, the, and are executing the blocking and tackling basics. And that's what it takes to be a professional top performing sales team and salesperson. It's not just teaching the basics. It's not about going to a selling skills class once a year. It's about working on those basics every single day. It's about grabbing someone and say, let's scrimmage this man. I got a, I got a sales call coming up. Here's the situation. Let's scrimmage it. And see, in business, we use the word role-playing. I use the word scrimmage, and, and it's not just a, a difference in words. It's a difference in meaning. In business, we use role-play as a way to judge you. I say, oh, Joe, let's see what you know. Let's role-play this. And I judge you by it. And, and just like in school, we didn't like pop quizzes, we don't like pop quizzes in business. But in sports, the best part of the sport was playing the game. The second best part was scrimmaging before because you got to play without the consequences. So let's scrimmage. Let, let's practice our sales call. Let's practice our cold call. Let's practice our voicemail, not to be judged, but to prepare. And when people, man, I mean, you know you got it. You know you're on the way of becoming a top performer or creating a, wing, uh, a team of top performers. When, when your sales guy, your sales manager, your sales guy walks up to you and says, man, I got this appointment. Let's scrimmage it. Or you say let's scrimmage this and like let's go and you don't judge them you prepare them and and, and so when you look at the difference of, of being a performer and a top performer, a top performer is looking not just on how to get better, not doesn't just have the desire to get better, but they have the discipline and the focus and the modesty to practice to get better and and that's where you start to see the difference from an amateur or a salesperson person to a sales professional. And, I, and, I, and in my workshops, when I work with my clients, I, I kind of put my finger on their chest. And I say, I, I struggle to believe that if you don't practice on a regular basis, how you can call yourself a professional. And, and I'm not saying that people aren't successful. I have many clients who are sales professionals who, who make in the, you know, the mid uh, the high six figure incomes. And I'm not saying that you're not successful, I'm just saying it's difficult to say I'm a professional if I don't practice. The difference between a comedian and a funny person is a comedian practices. A comedian gets paid very well. And a comedian also understands that the timing of the joke is more important than the punchline of the joke.
0: And I think it's important to add to that too, Nathan. I think you're you're spot on, is that you don't need to depend on your manager to come to you to practice. You can grab the person in the cube next to you and say, hey, I'm about to make a call. Do you mind if we just run through what our opening lines is? And do you mind just running through some of the common objections you're going to run through? It takes, what, 60 seconds, three minutes to do it.
1: Well, Absolutely. And here's a question I ask. If if you had an appointment with a a prospective client or a phone call, if you and I just practiced the phone call or the appointment three times, let's say we spent 45 minutes practicing that appointment, which, by the way, you probably spent weeks to get. If we spend 45 minutes practicing, what are the chances that you would do a better job at that appointment? And, and hands down, anyone who, sound, who gives you a logical answer will tell you 100%. And my next question is this. Then why don't we do it? And I believe that confidence in sales is imperative. I think when you are confident, people perceive you to be confident. But when you are, when confidence becomes arrogance... When we become been there, done that, got the T-shirt, I don't need to practice. I've been selling for 30 years. That's arrogant, and that is limiting, and that controls us. I, I tell my veteran sellers all the time, you give me a rookie who's got the desire, the enthusiasm, the attitude, and the attributes, I'll teach them the skill, and I'll make them a top performer in 18 months, and if any veteran does not practice, they will surpass them.
0: Yeah, we've learned at the performance group, because we do a lot of assessing on salespeople, that, in fact, a groundbreaking study we did now going on five years ago, we know for a fact now, because we can measure certain selling skills and certain areas of selling, that if you don't practice those, they actually atrophy. So your, your insight that it's selling is very akin to playing a professional sport or being a doctor who has to stay on top, or let's say a surgeon has to stay on top of his skills in order to perform, selling is the exact same way, and you're spot on. If you don't practice it, the, the empirical evidence is out there. You will, They will atrophy.
1: Well, and, and to this point, too, I tell sales managers, I, you know, we have a lot of professional sales salespeople, and then especially with remote offices today, a lot of people, you know, I, I call it working in their underwear. They're working from home offices and things like that. And, and one of the struggles is you take all these professional athletes and they make tens of millions of dollars a year. If the coach didn't make them show up to practice on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, they wouldn't show up, and neither would salespeople. The sales leader's job is to demand it, is absolutely demand it, that you've got to get better. And it's not because we don't know that we don't need to. It's that we're no different than our own children when we were kids. We know we need to be held accountable, and we desire to be held accountable. But very rarely do we hold ourselves accountable. Otherwise, every one of us would go to the gym every day. We know what's important. I know I'm supposed to go to the gym, but I, I got to tell you, I don't.
0: We're talking with Nathan Jamal. His book is The Sales Professionals Playbook. Uh, Nathan, what I like about your book, like I said before, it's well-structured. It's well-thought-out. If you're new to sales, it's a good way to become a professional. If you're looking at getting to the next level in sales, it's a great way to tune up your sales career. As you get out there and you work with businesses today, this is really three parts to this question, okay? Mm-hmm. The first part is, what advice are you giving owners? What advice are you giving sales managers? And what advice are you giving salespeople today? If you had to give them one piece of advice, what would it be to the owner first?
1: All right, and, and I'm assuming we say owners, we're speaking the small business kind of owner, or are we talking the big business? Midsize. Okay. Uh, owner here's my advice I give owners is when you're running your business remember to work on the business and not in the business and when it, it, every company out there has got a great product and service and, and they all say the same thing great customer service quality product and experience our biggest question is what are you how are you different and what can you prove and when you tell people to hire the right people doing the right things at the right time know what it means know that it means that in my opinion is Hire fast, fire faster. Help people, hire the people, teach them and and teach them quickly. And if they're not the right fit, be the person to have the tough decision, make the tough decision to help the people find the best spot for them and and put the right people in place. For managers, learn to coach and not manage. And they contradict each other 100%. In management, we avoid conflict and coaching. It's mandatory and we embrace it. In management, we work with those who need the attention. In coaching, we work with those who deserve the attention. And you can't coach someone who views your involvement as a negative or a consequence. Make your employees earn your attention, just like a a football player strives to be on the first string so they can practice all week with the coach and play the game on Saturdays or Sundays. Work with those who deserve the attention. Work with the strongest players. Move your people up. Or out, but move them somewhere. And lastly, for a manager and an owner, is mandate attitude. Everyone loves to say attitude is imperative. I will tell you, Jim, the, the one thing I see in organizations, that until you create a culture that is so strong that all these actions will fade because the, the culture will determine whether something is sustainable or not. And the key to that is the attitude. you got to mandate it. If you got a person who is a producing results but has a bad attitude, when I say mandate it, mandate means you would fire that person tomorrow with a bad attitude, because that money, that person with the bad attitude has taken more away from you and your organization, and more importantly, your employees and your team than they're ever making you. And until we mandate attitude, we can never talk about how important it is. So that there's my Reader's Digest version of what I believe is imperative for owners and managers and leaders. Coach don't manage people, work on the business, not just in the business. And for sales professionals, two, two pieces of advice for them. I don't care if you've been doing it for 30 minutes or 30 years. You don't ever start, football players don't ever stop practicing and executing on the basics and developing their skill until the day they retire. My advice, the same is for salespeople. Until you're done, don't stop practicing, and if you haven't started, start. It'll change. I, I tell people, do it for six months and see if it doesn't make a difference. If you don't do it now, and most don't, start practicing and don't stop until you retire. If you're good now, you'll be even better in, 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 in a year and in, in twice as good in two years. The the more we practice skill, the better we get. And, and the last ones be, I'm sorry, and the last ones be coachable.
0: Okay people wanted to learn more about you and your company, they'd go where?
1: they go to www.nathanjamal.com, and on there you'll see we actually have an agreement with John Q. Hammond's Hotel. We're getting ready to start a a 30-city tour with some public seminars. We have two in Dallas on the 21st, 22nd. We're working our way through most of the United States. But go to www.nathanjamal.com. There's videos, testimonials, and some information about our workshops and, of course, all of our products.
0: The book is "The Sales Professional's Playbook" by Nathan Jamail. Nathan, thanks for being on the program.
1: My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: This or other BizTalk podcasts may be downloaded by visiting our website, BizTalkRadioShow.com, or you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople. Contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.